I now have the privilege of welcoming Sharon and Stefan Kuhn to come up and preach. Um, I was going to give an introduction, but I think they seem to be very well known already, but I will give some introduction, but you must stop me if I get it wrong. Um, Sharon and, and Stefan are the most American-sounding non-American people I've ever met because they, they're American, but they don't, they've don't—they never really lived in America apart from six years. Was that about right? Um, so they've been missionaries in... grew up as missionaries in Brazil, missionary children in Brazil, and have been missionaries in Mozambique for many, many years. And we had the... It was just... It was God's sweet timing. Just before lockdown last year, March, you visited us for two or three times, and we just... It was just... So, so special. They're on their way to America for furlough, and then God was so good because when they came back, they decided to join us. And it has been so amazing having their entire family. They have four children, um, and it's just, I don't think we can quite imagine what church is like anymore without the Kern family there. So, um, it's, we are so blessed. Yeah, the wife and the children, lovely. But thank you so much, and just so serving us in so many different ways. So, I'm so pleased to have you up here today, and can I pray for you? Father, I just thank you for this precious family who have loved you and served you. And I can say this with my whole heart, with their whole lives, for their whole lives. And Lord, just an incredible inspiration to us all of living so heavenly focused, so evangelistically, so loving you in everything that they do, so intentional for your kingdom and for your glory. And Father, now as you speak through them, I just you know, I pray, Father, for a sweet time with you this morning, and we just thank you for them. We pray blessings on them and what you're going to do in and through them in Stellenbosch and the surrounding areas in the next couple of years. We just thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Amen. Good morning, guys. When, when Paul asked um, Sharon and I to speak together, um, I told him this is the first time in our 20 plus years of marriage that we're actually going to be speaking together like this. So it, it was, uh, I think he's testing our marriage. Um, I've kidded that after the, after the message this morning, maybe we'll have some marriage counseling no, but it, it really has been a, um, a joy. So, by a quick show of hands, how many of you will be leaving Stellenbosch and traveling back to your home for the upcoming holidays? few of you, maybe. Some students, possibly, yeah? How many of you will be staying home and having family then come to you? Yeah, or at least staying home, this is home for you, okay? Good. Well, for both Sharon and I, we will be staying here for the holidays. And in our heart, you guys, many times it'll wander, though, at this holiday time, it'll wander back to our home, whether it's in America or, as Ali mentioned, um, Brazil, where we both grew up. So we go back to our childhood home and, and think of how that has somewhat shaped us to the person who we are. Um, I, I want you guys to take a moment and watch a video. Uh, it's a video of a country singer. As you get to know both Sharon and I a little bit more, um, you're going to see that we love country music. 
And this is a a country song here by a lady named Miranda Lambert. And she sings a song that um, expresses kind of this return to her childhood home. So take a moment, look at it, and enjoy it. So for this lady, she associates the idea of home with this place, this childhood place where she has all of these memories, where she grew up, that growing period. What about for you all? We all have slightly different memories, different ideas of what represents home for us. Maybe different smells that when you smell that, it kind of takes you back to this place. It could be something from your childhood or it could be something right now. Um, your memories, the sounds even that come to mind when you think, oh, ah, that, that takes me home. I'd like you guys to get in just small groups, either turn to your neighbor, groups of one or two or three um, people, and go ahead and share with the people beside you, what is it that feels like home to you? What do you think of when you think of home? And what does that word home mean to you? We'll take about three minutes. All right, let's go ahead and come back together. So what did you think? Were your ideas kind of all the same? Do you have some kind of the same thoughts on what home means? What were some of your, your thoughts? Just shout them out. Food? <laughs> People? Yeah. Thunderstorms, nice. Dogs, great. All right, swimming. So we have lots of different ideas of what it means to be home. I do want to just acknowledge at this point, though, that um, while some of us have had some amazing home experiences, we also often come from homes that have been broken as well and that have deep pain. But even those of us that have grown up in situations where home has not been ideal, there's this sense in us that, that that was off, that there is an ideal of what home should be like. And maybe we spend kind of the rest of our lives working to create that for ourselves, for our spouses, for our children. So there's this ideal of home built into us, I think. When Stefan and I were talking about what does home mean to us, and we were reflecting on some of our memories, and we were talking about um, not only our ideals, but really what we were working to create within our own family for our kids and for each other, we kind of distilled it down to three basic concepts of home. And maybe these will resonate with you as well. The first thing is that home is a place of refuge. In a very practical and tangible way, home is a place of physical safety from the outside, isn't it? It's a place of shelter from the rain. It's a place that's cool when it's hot outside. And ideally, it's a place of refuge from the people that seek to harm us, from our enemies. And secondly, home is a place of growth. In home, we're challenged and we're stretched and we grow, but from a place of complete acceptance. If you think also very practically about the growth of a child in a home, a child is born and they're this squalling infant completely dependent on his caregivers for food and nourishment and to be carried around. And then as he starts to grow in his home, he begins to reach for the food himself and he splashes it all over his face and he gets it everywhere. And we just clap and encourage him and we're so happy for him even though he totally made a mess of it. And then when he begins to walk and he takes those first steps and he falls down and he begins to cry, we wipe his tears and we reach out our arms to him because he's completely accepted and we're cheering him on. 
And then as he grows and gets a little bit older, ideally as he's becoming a young man or a young woman, home is a place where he can try and fail over and over again, but then he's going to be maturing and growing. And even in all of those failures, all of those missteps that he takes as a child, all of those wanderings off, he's completely accepted in the home. And his identity isn't in any danger of changing. He's still a son. And unlike in other contexts where maybe we make those same missteps and those same failures, our reputation is built on that, let's say in the context of a school or work or even within our own friendship groups. Within a home, our reputation is not built on what we do or on the failures that we make. So home is a place of refuge. Home is a place of growth. And the third point that we identified is that home is a place of rest. At the end of a long day of studying or of working, home is a place that you come to and you can be completely yourself. You take off your fancy work clothes. Kids take off their school uniforms and you put on your comfy pants and your slippers. It's a place where we rest from even the good and meaningful work that God has given us to do with our lives. In a very practical way, we're renewed in home by the food that we eat, the rituals of sleeping. And then we engage in conversations with people who completely get us. We're home. We're at rest. Um. If you're following along there, kind of what we've been doing is, is we, looked at, we looked at what um, the pop world, if you want to call it that, country music, kind of refers to home. And I don't know how many of you have ever had a pastor, a message with a country song in it, but you might be able to chalk that up to number one for you. It's, uh, it's actually quite common in our home. Um, and then we move to what is it that Sharon and I kind of look at, look at what is, what is home to us, what does it mean to us? And we want to now transition a little bit into Scripture. What does Scripture talk about home? And there is a number of, of, of parallels within Scripture, um, stories and metaphors when we're referring to home. The first one probably that we come across in a, in a, in a little bit larger way is in Genesis uh, chapter 11, when Abraham is leaving his original home and God's going to be leading him to a home that he doesn't yet know. He's going by faith that God will be leading him there and showing him where it's going to be. And then we remember the story, those of us who are familiar with the story of God's word, where the Israelites, they've been for 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and then God delivers them from that. And you remember that story where they travel for 40 plus years in the desert going back to the home that God had promised them a while back. And, you know, during that time of travel, during that journey that they went through, they were experiencing all sorts of emotions, threats of destruction by the enemy, um, hunger, thirst. Earthquakes that would swallow up entire people groups. Snake attacks. You guys remember that? All along their journey to Canaan. And then later in the Bible story, we see the story of the Babylonians and the Assyrians. If you remember that, in Nehemiah, kind of chronicles that, where the, the, the Israelites were taken in exile 
And then Nehemiah actually leads many of them back home again to Jerusalem. Um, And then this idea of being on a journey, it continues even in the New Testament. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? God's going to prepare a place for us, our home, our eternal home. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will then come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus told us that he's gone to heaven now. To do what? To prepare a home for us there. So we do see. So we do see a lot of these metaphors, these pictures in scripture, these stories that represent our spiritual journey of us being on a journey home, this idea that the world is not our home, that we're ultimately headed to a different place. And these stories can be encouraging and they can build us up. But they're actually not a complete picture of how scripture talks about home either. We see that beyond this idea of us being on a journey home, that God himself, his very presence can be our home. If you think back to the story that Stefan was referencing about the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt, although the narrative is very much about God leading them on this journey from their place of slavery to this new home that they've been promised, it's actually the journey itself is this process of them beginning to understand that God and his presence is their home. So he begins by showing them that his presence is with them through the pillar of cloud, if you'll recall in Exodus, and the pillar of fire at night, and he leads them throughout the wilderness by these very visible expressions of his presence. And then in the third month of their journey, they come to the Mount Sinai, and you'll find that again in Exodus, and they get there, and the Lord meets with Moses, and remember, he's just beginning to reveal what his character is like to this people who are wanting to worship him, but they don't really completely know what he's like. And so God meets with Moses, and he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he has this sweet time with with the Lord where he's beginning to understand who God is and all of his holiness, and he's beginning to understand what it means to live in right relationship with him. So God gives them not only these laws that show his holiness, but then he also gives them this way that they can be made right with him. And then ultimately, he gives them these instructions to build a tabernacle, which will be this very visible expression of his presence with them. But we do know from the story that it ends up taking them way longer than they expected to reach Canaan. It ends up taking them, like Stefan said, over 40 years. And during that time, God feeds them. He meets their physical needs for food. He protects them from their enemies. He gives them refuge, and he brings them on this spiritual journey, this growth of learning to trust him and learning to express that trust through obedience. And then at the end of Moses' life, when they're poised right there, getting ready to enter Canaan finally, Moses gives this last speech to the Israelite people, and he reminds them that God has fulfilled their promise. They're getting ready to enter their home. But then he says this in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Did you catch that? He doesn't call Canaan, this land that they've been wandering to for 40 years, their home. He calls God himself their dwelling place. This concept of God 
God's presence being our home became very real to me through a series of events a couple of years ago, and I'd like to share that with you now. Just over two years ago, I found myself in the intensive care unit of the Tropical Disease Hospital in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I was hooked up to needles and tubes and to medication that the doctors were hoping would save my life. I was literally thousands of miles away from home, away from my family, with no way to communicate to them what was actually happening to me and no way of knowing at the time if I would ever actually see them again. To give a little bit of context, my husband and I and our four children were living in Mozambique at the time. We'd been there for the past 14 years, serving in cross-cultural ministry. And two years prior to that hospitalization and that trip, we had moved to a more remote area of Mozambique to be closer to the young men that we were working with. And when we had made that move, we were then working on a model farm. And because of the circumstances, we were actually experiencing a lot of the diseases that everyone else around us was experiencing as well. So our family began to battle with that. And in particular, we were battling with um, recurrent bouts of malaria. So during those, that span of about two, two and a half years, each of the six members of our family got malaria between nine to 12 times. So we were constantly sick. And at this particular time, I had made a trip to Brazil, and I had left Stefan and the kids at home, and I had gone there to do some training and to um, teach a seminar on child safety. And while I was there, I began to come down once again with the symptoms of malaria. And this time, apparently, my body had just had enough. And within a matter of a few hours, it began shutting down. And I was rushed to the Tropical Disease Hospital, where the doctors there scrambled to save my life. The doctors later told us that they weren't sure that I was going to make it, and that if I did, they weren't sure that it wouldn't be without permanent um, vital organ damage, or maybe even brain damage. And as I lay there underneath the sterile sheet, I remember wondering what would be required of me and of my family. I remember wondering, if I didn't make it, what would be the impact of them spiritually and on their relationship to God? I remember wondering if it was my choices that had got me into this situation. If it was my choice to be a missionary, my choice to stay in Mozambique despite our family continuing to get malaria, my choice to travel away from my family for this ministry opportunity. Was it that that had led me ultimately to that hospital bed, or was it the sovereignty of God? Was it his sovereign will that my family experienced some of these hardships so that somehow in that suffering it would give legitimacy to the message that we were bringing to these people in our efforts to expand the gospel. So for four days as I was there in the ICU, I watched through the glass walls and doors as the hospital staff wheeled out the other people in the neighboring rooms covered in white sheets who had not made it. But I also remember the simple sweetness of having literally everything stripped away of having no one to talk to except God. There was nothing. There were no phones. There were no books, no television, no music. I literally had no clothes, very little dignity. There was nothing except the presence of God for me. And I remember this sweetness of companionship that I've never experienced before, of having everything else taken away and having literally no hope for what there might be in the future. Eventually, a kind Brazilian lady who I'd never met before on her rounds brought me a Bible. 
And I remember poring over that Bible, again, in a different way than I'd ever poured over it before because it was this conversation between me and God. There was no one else. And I came across this psalm written by Moses, Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. And he wrote, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. The New Living Translation puts it this way, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. These verses gave voice to what I was experiencing in the Lord at that moment. He became my very home. He became my place of growth and refuge and rest. So what does it mean for God to be our home? Um, As Sharon mentioned earlier, Home for us meant that it's a place of refuge, protection from the elements, protection uh, from our enemies. You know, Martin Luther lived at a very kind of interesting time. Um, When he was hiding for fear of his life, uh, there was actually a plague going on, very similar to what's happening today in the world. Um, He found comfort in Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. You know, it it was because of this verse, because of this passage that led him to write one of the most famous hymns in Protestant Christianity. You guys know it from A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, Peter then, if we continue on in in, in God's story, he instructs us in a very direct way. Again, we're focusing on the fact that God is our refuge here. 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter tells us to cast all your anxiety on him, on God. Why? Because he cares for you. And our question to us this morning is, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that we need to be casting all our anxiety, not just part of it, all our anxiety on God? And maybe even the question, what is our anxiety? For some of us, some students possibly, you're writing exams these days. Uh, Might be a lot of anxiety there. Some of us are finishing up studying. University students. And we still don't have a job. You've put applications out there. Some incredible anxiety going on. Some folks are dealing with anxiety over health issues medical issues, others maybe even relationship issues. Um, You know, some of us are actually dreading the holidays, and I get this. Why? Because it means actually getting together with family. Others, maybe you've lost family this past year, and it's going to be a tough holiday time. But God wants us to take all this anxiety and come to Him with it. Why? Because He is our refuge. His presence alone is what is home to us. 
I remembered it this time. So just as God's presence is a place of refuge for us, his presence is also a place of growth. Have you ever thought about literally the incredible privilege it is that we can grow in spiritual maturity and we can distance ourselves from bad habits that we struggle with and the sin that trips us up. We can do that in his presence. We can fully confess and acknowledge our failure in his presence because, first of all, in his omniscience, he already knows it. Secondly, because in Jesus we are forgiven. And thirdly, because in his sovereignty, he's already planned for us to grow up. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it this way, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. And these growing pains, this falling down and being picked back up again, come from the arms of a father who loves and accepts us completely. In fact, the Bible teaches us that as we experience the discipline of God in our lives, it's because we are home, because we are his sons. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we proved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So my encouragement to you today is that as a child of God, if you're experiencing a time of growing pains or a time of discipline in your life, don't be discouraged You can just turn around into the arms of your father who loves you and accepts you completely as he corrects you because we're in the perfect home for growth. So the third point is that home is a place of rest. But practically, what does that mean for us? What does it mean in our lives for home, for God's presence to be a place of rest for us in this busy season? I think partly it comes down to just being real with ourselves about what depends on us. So if something depends on me, it's actually my job, it's my responsibility to be at work on it to make sure that it's going to happen, to make every effort that it turns out right. But if, on the other hand, it doesn't depend on me, rather it depends on someone else, I can rest and let that person do their job. We see once again in the story of the Israelites how Moses, when he was getting ready to leave Mount Sinai after that time, that sweet time of spending with the Lord, and then he was going to begin that journey, he seems to almost have come to this moment of panic. If you look in Exodus chapter 33, when he realizes the weight of what he's about to do. And he begins to question and talk with God, and he says to him, Lord, who's going to be going with us? He's had this experience now with the Israelite people of them, even just after having received a revelation from God, they've turned their backs on him, and they've come back, and then they've turned their backs again. And he's like, oh, no, what am I going to do with this? So if you see there in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, this is what God responds to him as he's getting ready to head out. He says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. 
So this seemingly impossible job that he has ahead of him, it actually doesn't depend on him. It depends on God. And God is going to be there so Moses can do all of this and just rest. And in that same passage that Stefan referenced earlier in Psalm 46, how God is our refuge, it also says, Be still and know that I am God. My body can physically stop. I can be still because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. And then in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says those sweet words to us. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. So in this season of busyness, as we approach the holidays, we often find ourselves carrying the weight of our work, the weight of our concerns. Like Stefan mentioned, maybe students carrying the burden of exams, waiting for those results, young professionals looking for jobs, making big decisions about their future, young parents juggling the responsibility of work and vacation time and time with kids, Older parents maybe during this season looking back, your home is empty now. You're looking back and maybe even sometimes second-guessing during the holidays. Did I parent right? Are the kids going to be okay? Or just dealing with the reality that home doesn't look like what it used to anymore. And in all of our traveling and in our shopping and in our hosting and in the events, ironically, sometimes in our very efforts, To make our houses feel like a home, we become overwhelmed with the busyness. But if we can just take a step back and remember, it doesn't depend on us. We can choose to come home into God's presence. We can turn our burden over to him. We can be still and we can rest. So guys, our series over these last few weeks and even in the coming weeks as we close out the year here um, has been an attempt to focus our attention upward. Uh, Recognizing, guys, that much of 2020 and 2021 has brought crazy levels of stress to folks, uh, mental health challenges uh, into all of our lives. And now with this new variant that apparently South Africa is privileged to have, I guess. Um, You know, who knows what 2022 is going to bring. But um, as I think back over these last few years, you know, children spending these last years looking at others, and, and, and they don't see, they're not able to identify the facial expressions of people. Uh, teenagers, those of you who were longing over the last year or two to have your matric year and and have it just to be normal. Um, And it was far from it. Um, You know, making those memories of normal sports, social interaction. University students, and I feel for you guys, you know, just really longing to have that normal university life with all the social and academic interactions that are common on university campuses. Parents, a lot of parents out there dealing with distance learning 
for the first time with their kids, kind of these hybrid models. Uh, Some of you parents, even job cutbacks, maybe even job loss, mental health fatigue of being socially isolated. Our hope this morning from what we've shared, is that it'll be a great reminder that in spite of the circumstances that we're going through, God is the constant. God never changes. And just like he reminded Moses, back to a verse that Sharon quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, we have that up there, the eternal God is our dwelling place. Guys, Many of us are going to be going home for the holidays. Some of us are going to be staying here home. But recognizing that God himself, God, his very presence ultimately, is our home. And may that be the truth that we cling to during this time. So we're going to move into a time of communion now. And we have stations set up kind of around the room, um, and, and we do this to remember Jesus' death on the cross that bridges the gap between God and us. Uh, and we would encourage you guys, gather in small groups, maybe as you get the elements, you can come back, spend some time together in a small group to pray for one another. Resting in the promise that God, His very presence, is where we can find home. And if there's anyone here who who doesn't actually know this, doesn't have that peace that, you know, God is my home, Sharon and I will be up front here, and then there's leaders within One Hope, would love to pray with you. Love to for you guys to have that same assurance that God, His very presence, can be your home. So as we get ready to go and, 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 and get the elements, uh, there's going to be a song playing in the background. It's a song by Matt Redman um, called One Day. And, and be, be thinking about these, these words. It's a beautiful, beautiful song recognizing something we alluded to earlier, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Um, And ultimately, that's the home that we're headed for, but on the journey. Right now, God can be our home. So as that song is being played, go ahead and get up and we can get the, the elements and then spend a few minutes just in prayer. And then at the end, I'll close this out.